Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode five of the story of Minglan or Zhifo Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com if you have any questions. Today's episode is chock full of Song Dynasty history that we want to talk about, so we will be going to school just like our main characters. Now, without further ado, let's get started on the episode recap. The beginning of episode 5 starts where we left off, in court. The elderly emperor is being, you could say, bullied by one of his ministers into discussing who to name as his heir and heir to the throne of the Song Dynasty because the emperor himself has no living sons. The emperor is very angry because he's hurting that his son died and that the ministers and officials don't understand that he's in pain. Because the emperor does not have a son, he must select an heir from the imperial clan, a.k.a. any male member of the imperial family, to be his son. This conflict, or lack of a direct heir, plays an important role in the conflict of this drama. What is interesting is that in the last drama we discussed, Empresses in the Palace, there was actually the opposite problem. During the Qing Dynasty, the emperor of that drama actually had to compete with eight other brothers for the throne. His own children, although not as plentiful as his father, had to vie for this top spot as well. In this drama, during the reign of this emperor in the Song Dynasty, it wasn't about having too many sons to fight for the throne, it was instead not having any surviving sons. We'll talk about the actual history behind this as it is quite interesting. Now back to the Sheng family. The family has arrived in the capital city of Bianjing, as we saw in the last episode, and our master and wife of the house are discussing how to prepare their children for school. There is a scholar, Scholar Zhuang, who will come teach the children. Why do these children, particularly the boys, need to go to school? Why? Because they have to prepare for the imperial entrance exams. This will give the boys an opportunity to become officials for the Song Dynasty and continue to bring glory to the family. Exciting for the Sheng family is that the son of Qi Guogong or the Duke of Qi will also come to study with them. This is a high honor as the Qi family is an incredibly wealthy and powerful family. They only have one son and his name is Qi Heng but people call him Xiao Gongye as a respectful title, or it directly means young duke. As for the daughters of the Sheng family, they are also brought to take class with scholar Zhuang. And so, we have a peaceful several years where the cute children study Chinese classics and writings. The boys taking class are Chang Bai and Chang Feng of the Sheng family, and then there's Qi Heng. The girls, of course, are the fourth daughter, Mulan, fifth daughter, Ru Lan, and sixth daughter, Ming Lan. 
And yay! As the years pass, we finally see our main actors and actresses for the drama. Zhao Liying, or Zanelia Zhao, makes her first appearance as the cute and respectful Minglan. The handsome Zhu Yilong makes his appearance as the serene Qi Heng. Gu Tingye, we see, is studying at a different academy, and we see he is now being portrayed by Feng Shaofeng. I personally love this scene where they're first going to class as it reflects the calmness and relatively naive nature, but, you know, in a good way of the uh, students in this time period. The bamboo in the background, to me, really makes it feel like I'm in ancient China studying with them. It is really adorable how all of the servants are sitting in the outer rim of the room, also listening to the scholar talk while their masters take class. And of course, as with anyone going to school, flirtations are abound. In this episode, there are plenty of historical references that we will dive into in our analysis. One day after class, Master Sheng and Qi Heng, or Xiao Gongyue, discuss Chinese calligraphy from various masters while the women of the family chat on other matters in a separate part of the room. Here are the instances in this drama that really showcase the traditional Chinese etiquette of that time period. During class, the men and women are seated separately. Similarly, in this scene, as the family are chatting amongst each other, men and women are seated in separate parts of the room. Men are always in the front, while women chat in the back, and there is that uh, divider between the men and women. As Master Sheng chats with Qi Hong, we see the crushes and flirtations start. Milan is playing with her friend Yan Ran in the back. This happy scene is seen by Qi Hong, who is mesmerized and can't help let out a grin. But his uh, very astute servant blocks his view. I particularly love Qi Hong's side eye at his servant in this instant. It's like, move, I want to, I want to see Milan. At this point, Qi Hong takes a moment to use the restroom and leaves the main hall where his servant, Bu Wei, directly just says to him, the whole reason why Qi Hong wants to stay at the Sheng family's manor for dinner is to spend more time with Minglan. Clearly, someone is smitten by the youngest daughter of the Sheng family. Slight drama happens at this moment when Qi Hong realizes that he lost his handkerchief and makes a large fuss to find it. He returns to the main hall and requests help to retrieve his lost handkerchief. Wang Danyangzi, as the wife of the family, takes it upon herself to search for the lost item. Now, why is it so important for Qi Hong to let everyone know he lost this handkerchief? As Minglan explains to her friend Yan Yan, a handkerchief is a very personal item. Per our research, it can also be used as a token of love. If this was taken from Qi Hong, particularly for a man of his status and background, this could lead to unwanted rumors if discovered in the wrong hands and result in scandal. That's why he needs to make everyone know that he lost the handkerchief, even if it's not valuable, so that people will not get the wrong idea if it does indeed show up somewhere else. Surprisingly, the thief was found rather quickly. The handkerchief was on a maid in the family. She's screaming that she didn't know how it came upon her person as she's being beaten by Wang Danyangzi. Minglan and Yan Zhan analyze the situation because something seems rather off. 
why would this maid keep this handkerchief on her person if everyone was searching for it? After some smart deduction, Minglan was able to deduce that someone in the main hall must have planted the handkerchief on this unsuspecting maid because he or she could not leave. This deduction is overheard by none other than Xiao Gongye, who evidently followed the young ladies. He stops them to say that he will save the maid from any injustice and thanks Minglan for her help. A couple of things are revealed in this scene. One is that Minglan is indeed quite sharp. She was able to accurately deduce the flow of events that happened. Two is that she is quite focused on decorum and maintaining social distance with Xiao Gongye. In every scene she has with him, she's backing away and trying to keep a respectful distance between her and him. Three, while he is clearly smitten with her, he also does have a strong sense of justice and is prudent in recognizing the potential issues that arise from a lost handkerchief. So who exactly took the handkerchief and planted it on this poor maid? Well, it has to be the fourth sister, Molan. The show heavily implies this. It doesn't actually show Molan planting the handkerchief on the maid, but it's quite evident that uh, it's probably her. The second half of the episode revolves around Qi Hong trying to be nice to Minglan or actually have a conversation with her, but we see just how problematic that can be for Minglan. Back at school, Qi Hong gives a powerful monologue on his thoughts of the Qin Dynasty. He lists a bunch of Song Dynasty scholars as his evidence to support his thoughts on the unification about the Qin Dynasty. After this thoughtful discussion, though, the scholar asks for Minglan to stay behind, where he reprimands her for her poor calligraphy writing. Qi Hong makes an excuse to stay behind to hear what's going on with her. The scholar is not happy with Milan's poor calligraphy and tells her to copy the discourse on salt and iron as punishment. This is a common punishment for students. If your writing is not good or you make some type of mistake in class, you have to copy or transcribe an entire text. Maybe not the discourse on salt and iron, but certainly other texts. Somewhat like in detention where you rewrite lines over and over again. After Minglan and her maid Xiao Tao leave, they are stopped by Qi Hong, who tries to engage Minglan in conversation, even offering to help her copy some of the text. She politely refuses, but in the end, he shoves a container of water chestnuts and two extremely valuable calligraphy brushes for Minglan to help her improve her writing. Clearly, he's trying to show he cares about her and wants to help. Those brushes are quite valuable and the water chestnuts are very rare, especially during this time of the year. And so it means that he wants to give her lots of really nice and good things. Unfortunately, this scene is seen by Rulan, the fifth daughter. Why is Minglan so courteous and distant towards Qi Hong and why is she stressed by the gifts he gives her? We see immediately why. Fifth daughter Rulan wants to goad the fourth daughter Mulan. Because the two girls have different mothers, they are often antagonistic towards each other. Mulan, 
daughter of Lin Xiaoyang, often wants to be seen as better than she is, especially given her birth status of a shu chu or daughter of a concubine, and therefore focuses heavily on her academic studies. She is hoping to capture the attention of a powerful individual to marry. The best option right now is Qi Heng, of course, the son of a duke. Rulan cannot stand Molan's attitude, and seeing Minglan there directly goes into Minglan's case, where she stored the two calligraphy brushes Qi Heng sent her and takes those two brushes out. She doesn't even ask Minglan and just goes ahead and does it because she is the daughter of the main wife. Rulan waves around the two brushes in front of Mualan, who immediately becomes jealous. This puts Minglan in an awkward position because she does not want to anger either of her sisters. Minglan continuously pretends to be weak and backs down from any conflict. To appease both her sisters and saying that these brushes won't save Minglan's terrible writing, she actually gifts the two brushes to each of her sisters. This calms both Mualan and Rulan down, and Rulan actually grabs Minglan's hand to go off and play somewhere else, super happy about this new gift. Mualan discusses this turn of events with her mother, the concubine Lin Xiaoyang. Lin Xiaoyang is primarily worried that Xiao Gongye or Qi Heng actually likes Minglan, but because Minglan gave away those two brushes, Mualan was able to say that Minglan probably knows her place and does not care for Qi Heng. Otherwise, why would Minglan not just keep these pens for herself? Let's talk about this for a bit. While Minglan is now raised by her grandmother because her birth mother is gone, she is still more or less alone to deal with her sisters. Her sisters are both very confident, one the daughter of the wife of the family, one the daughter of a favored concubine. Both are treated very well in the household. Particularly Lin Xiaoyang and Mo Lan. Look at the clothing color choices for the mother and daughter pair. It's bright pink. One could say it's a little trashy to have this color, especially compared to the rest of the household who has a more muted tone, but it does showcase the status of this pair in the family. The moment Qi Heng, this young duke, tries to show any favoritism towards Minglan, then she would be put in danger, so to speak. Her two sisters would be incredibly jealous of her and would want to put her down. That is why Minglan does not try to win any favors with Qi Heng, but instead tries to keep him at arm's length. She doesn't give a second thought about giving away his gifts because otherwise she'd become a target for her sisters and, more importantly, their overbearing and calculating mothers. Another theme we see is very important, is that we hear how Minglan's calligraphy is pretty poor. However, Xiao Tao, her maid, said that whenever Grandma Sheng teaches Minglan horseback riding and the Chinese form of polo, Minglan can pick that up pretty quickly. But for calligraphy, she just cannot improve her writing. This reveals to us Minglan's true nature. She's a girl that likes the arrow toss and horseback riding. Otherwise, known as someone who's more free and wild. But we see in this episode, she's always trying to hide and back away from conflict. 
Currently, this is her only survival tactic in the household. The episode ends with the return of Gu Tingye to study at the Sheng family. It is revealed that he actually has a family already. One interesting juxtaposition is that he has a handkerchief on his person from who is actually a well-known prostitute. The third brother, Chang Feng, found the handkerchief beautiful, and uh, Gu Tingye just gifts it to him. While he clearly does not care too much about this handkerchief, it is evident he also doesn't care that the world knows he's close to a prostitute. In, I guess, more ways than one. On the way to class, Ming Lan is leaning on her maid's back, taking a nap. Qi Hong, seeing this sight, stops to tease Ming Lan a bit, but both are startled by the arrival of Gu Tingye and Chang Bai. It turns out, Gu Tingye and Qi Hong have generational familial relations, and so the group heads off to class. So, what do we think? Are our hearts fluttering yet with how cute Zhao Liying is and how smitten the young duke is with her? Or Ming Lan, I should say. I think Zhu Long, the actor for the young duke, epitomizes the Wen Wen Er Ya uh, idiom, which means serene and calm nature that a traditional gentleman is described to be. In this instance, Ming Lan's eldest brother, Chang Bai, allows Ming Lan to nap for a few more minutes. The maid, Xiang Tao, doesn't think too much of this, but Ming Lan is quick to point out that her brother is giving her an easy out to not walk with Gu Tingye and Qi Hong Xiaogongye. The two reasons for this are, one, Gu Tingye and Xiaogongye are still men outside of the family, or Wai Nan. It broke tradition to have Ming Lan walk with them, especially since there isn't another adult female around. And number two, like we said earlier, if her sisters Ru Lan or Mu Lan saw Ming Lan walking together with Xiao Gongye and now Gu Tingye, they would get jealous and potentially retaliate against Ming Lan. Ninglan is rather grateful for this excuse from her brother and heads off to class after them. Now that was it for the episode recap, but before we get on with the historical analysis, let's actually level set on the key characters within the Sheng family and their personality traits. Here are the children of the Sheng family. We have the first daughter, Hua Lan, who is the daughter of the main wife. She's beautiful intelligent, and already married. The second son, Chang Bai, who is also the son of the main wife. He is fair, studious, and intelligent. He behaves as the righteous older brother and student prepping for his exams. The third son, Chang Feng, who is son of Mistress Lin or Lin Xiaoyang. He's outgoing, he likes to make connections, but not as academically gifted as his older brother. He also enjoys time with the fairer sex and has no problem accepting the handkerchief of a prostitute, which reveals a little bit about his nature. Next, we have the fourth daughter, Molan, daughter of Lin Xiaoyang. She's judgmental, manipulative, proper, and academic. Then we have the fifth daughter, Rulan, who is the youngest daughter of the main wife. She's cute, shallow, arrogant, and pretty naive. 
She is bossy and always flaunts her status as the daughter of the main wife Wang Danyangzi. She's not very studious and doesn't put in any hard work. And as such, she can never win any argument against Moalan, with whom she has a terrible relationship. Her relationship is a bit better with Minglan, but she mainly just bosses Minglan around. And lastly, we have the sixth daughter, Minglan. She's calculating, quiet, and reserved, but in a survival mode way. She knows her place in society and tries her best to balance between her two sisters and other family members. All right, well, that was quite a lot to discuss for this episode. Let's talk now about some of the history that we've seen portrayed in episode five. Let's talk about the emperor. The emperor portrayed in this drama is none other than Song Renzong. We've talked about him briefly in our intro to the drama episode, but here's some more information. He was born in 1010 AD and died in 1063 AD at age 52. He was the longest reigning Song Dynasty emperor, ruling for a whopping 41 years, although this does pale in comparison to his Qing Dynasty counterparts. His title of Ren means benevolence, and he is depicted in history as indeed quite a benevolent ruler. Some say for the benefit, others for the detriment to the empire. A lot of the authors will mention later on uh, that the main characters referenced in this episode, or in general throughout the drama, lived under Song Renzong's reign. This emperor pushed for a higher focus on academics, and one could say that it was because of his benevolent rule that we have such famous scholars today. If you made a list of the top 30 most famous Chinese scholars, many of them are from the Song Dynasty, and many of those would be writing during this emperor's reign. As previously mentioned, the drama Qingpingyue, or Serenade of Peaceful Joy, does a really good job of portraying the life of Song Renzong. It's a more accurate depiction than what we have here in this drama, and certainly introduces many of the scholars mentioned here. We also get a better depiction in that drama of the conflict here, which is that despite Song Renzong's long reign, one of his biggest regrets is not having any surviving male heirs. He had three sons, but none of them survived to adulthood. Many of his daughters also did not survive. Infant mortality really was a problem during that time, and therefore he struggled to find an heir. Interestingly, he raised a clan member to be his son, more like one of his nephews, uh, for some time, but then he birthed the son later in life and therefore let his adopted son return to his family, kind of just like let him leave. But then after his last son died, the emperor had no option since he was getting quite along in years, but to bring back this previously adopted son to become his adopted son once again. What a whirlwind for this nephew, right? 
In the beginning of this episode, we see that the emperor had just lost his son and is still in the throes of mourning. He's not wrong to be angry with his ministers for being so heartless and have no compassion towards him for losing his son, but his ministers are also not wrong for bringing up the fact that if there is no heir, there is no stability in the empire. Without a direct heir to the throne, there will be turmoil as people fight for the right to be emperor. It's certainly a tough discussion topic, but uh, as we've discussed, one that will drive much of the conflict in this drama. Next, let's talk about some poems that were discussed in this episode. The poem that scholar Zhuang recites when the students first start class is called Hui Yuan Tian Ju, or for my translation, Returning Home. It is written by the scholar Tao Yuanming, and he lived roughly between the years of 365 AD to 427 AD during the Eastern Jin Dynasty. He was a famed poet and considered the father of Tian Yuan Shi or pastoral poetry, which focused on the serene nature of the countryside, the rural landscape, or the garden. When Tao Yuanming was in his youth, he traveled to many counties and prefectures to become a civil servant. However, he tired of civil service and in 405 AD retired to the country where he turned his attention to poetry. Gui Yuan Tianju, the poem recited by the scholar, is a prime example of this style of poetry or of pastoral poetry. There are five parts to the overall poem, and the one recited in the drama is the first one. The poem describes a youth who originally loved the country and nature but was misguided to enter the world of politics and left his beloved home for 30 years. He finally decided to return to the country where he built a small house with eight to nine rooms on 10 acres of land. Willows and pear trees are planted near the house and the poem goes on to describe the sounds and sights of the serene place. It is a lovely poem, but to me it's interesting that the show decided to have scholar Zhuang teach this poem. The poem recounts a man who tired of civil service and returned home. But the whole point of study for these men, especially Chang Feng and Chang Bai, is to enter into civil service. I guess to me the scene is more of a reflection of peaceful family life and the Sheng family, which then makes sense for the scene. Next up, in the drama, Master Sheng or Sheng Hong is discussing calligraphy or Shu Fa with the young duke Qi Hong. They mention a couple of names, but the one person of focus in this discussion is one Wang Youjun. At first, I didn't recognize the name or title, but after doing a bit of research, this Wang Youjun is none other than Wang Xizhi, sometimes known as Shu Sheng or the master calligrapher. Born in 303 AD and he died in 361 AD, he lived during the Jin dynasty. He hailed from the famous Langya Wang family. He entered into civil service as an adult and he also had military merit, rising to the rank of general of the right, which is why he is referred to as Wang Youjun in the drama. Wang Youjun is shortened from Wang Youjiangjun or Wang General of the Right. And this name is actually used in poems 
uh, written by other poets. He was a master calligrapher, especially of running script or xing shu. His most famous work, or at least to me, is Lan Ting Xu, or Preface to the Poems Composed at the Orchid Pavilion, written in 353. It is considered the foremost example of running script. For Chinese calligraphy, samples and records of works have been passed down through the generations for us to learn and compare different calligraphy styles. Unfortunately, no original work from Wang Xizhi has survived. Over the centuries, emperors have gathered originals and made copies of his work. There has been some debate on the authenticity of some of the styles, but to me there is no doubt in the contributions that Wang Xizhi had towards Chinese calligraphy. The two written characters mentioned in the drama by Sheng Hong and Qi Hong are Ping An, which means peace. Different calligraphers have different styles of writing, even in the specific scripts. And it is often a topic of discussion and debate on who is your favorite calligrapher or style. I know I certainly have mine. And as beginners try to learn calligraphy, teachers will often choose easier styles and scripts for the students to mimic. In the middle of the episode, Qi Hong discusses his thoughts on the Six Nation Discourse, or Liu Guo Lun. It more or less talks about the unification of these six nations under the Qin Dynasty, way back when, 2000 plus years ago. While there's a lot to be said about the reasons for unification by the Qin Dynasty, I am more interested in the scholars that Qi Hong references in his argument. In quick succession, Qi Hong mentions Su Xun, Su Shi, and Su Zhe. These three men are included in the Tang and Song Dynasty eight great scholars list, all coming to prominence during this time period under Song Renzong's reign. These three well-known scholars are related. Su Xun is the father of Su Shi and Su Zhe who are brothers. Each of these gentlemen wrote their own version of this Six Nation Discourse, and they are prominent writings of historical importance. We see that because Qi Hong is referencing each of these three writings. Though apparently I think that the discourse from the father, Su Xun, is more well known. These brothers, Su Shi and Su Zhe, are not to be discounted though, their writings have transcended through time and their poems are well known even today. What I really liked about this brief monologue by Qi Hong is that it made us reference these three Su masters and think about this text and, of course, made us go do some research on it. Another person that we must bring up is Poetry by Yan Shu. Mo Lan is reciting two verses of his before Ru Lan barges in to goad her. The two lines that she recites are Li Hua Yuan Luo Rong Rong Yue Liu Xu Chi Tang Dan Dan Feng. This is from a poem called Yu Yi, which means implied meaning. The full poem, more or less, is about lost love and reminiscing old times with someone they love. For me, the more interesting part uh, is the author. 
Yan Shu is another well-known poet, calligrapher, and statesman who served under our current emperor Song Renzong's reign. Yan Shu created thousands of works during his lifetime, but only over a hundred or so survive today. I bring these up because it's interesting that these scholars have their poems and writings so widely read, probably during their lifetime. And again, how amazing it is that so many of these famous scholars created literary masterpieces during a similar time frame in Chinese history. The last piece we want to talk about today is the discourse on salt and iron, or Yan Tie Lun. This is the text that Ming Lan is forced to、uh, transcribe and copy as punishment. I've never heard of it before, and so I was kind of like, "What is this?" It was a debate, actually, held in 81 BC during the Western Han Dynasty on salt and iron enterprises of the empire. Economic, political, and military policies were discussed during the debate. This discussion was compiled by the historian Huan Quan. This discourse has a total of ten volumes and sixty chapters. I don't know about you guys, but that's a crazy amount to copy in just four days. Before we wrap up this section, I do want to note that we met another character today, Minglan's friend Yu Yanran. She is the granddaughter of a high-ranking court minister. He is incidentally in charge of the imperial examinations. Yu Yanran has been raised primarily by her grandparents, as her mother passed away when she was young and her father remarried. Because she was born from the main wife, she doesn't have as many considerations as to proper etiquette as Minglan, and it showed here in this episode. Minglan's grandmother has good relations with Yu Yanran's grandmother, and the two families meet relatively often. Yu Yanran is portrayed by the lovely Deng Xia, who's been in several dramas such as 2010's Meiyun Xinzi or Beauty's Rival in the Palace. We won't see a whole lot of her in this drama, but she is Minglan's first friend we see in the show. Finally, let's talk about some book differences and some analysis on the characters themselves. In the drama, it is never clearly stated how the family ordered its children. Traditionally, the boys and girls of a generation of a family are ordered separately. Sometimes, within a large family clan, the children are ordered according to the birth order in the whole family clan. In the book, the boys and girls in the Sheng family are ordered separately, and children who have passed away are still accounted for. So, in the book, Sheng Hong had four sons. The eldest died in infancy and is unnamed. Therefore, Chang Bai is still ranked second, and Chang Feng is ranked or ordered number three. There is another son, Chang Dong, in the book who is ranked fourth, but the drama removed this character. As for the daughters, Hua Lan is the eldest. The second and third daughters in the book also died in infancy, and the remaining children are, of course, Mo Lan, Ru Lan, and Ming Lan, who are fourth, fifth, and sixth, respectively. It doesn't really matter how they ordered the children in the drama because the overall order is the same. So we'll just refer to the family and just assume that there are those six children in the family for this drama.
Next, let's talk about school and academics. In the episode, Grandma Sheng pushes for Minglan to get the opportunity to study with scholar Zhuang. Women back then usually did not need to get an education. Learning a few characters, arithmetic, and how to manage a household was the primary education for women. However, Grandma Sheng accurately puts it that no matter what, education is a must for the women of this particular household. In the book, Wang Danyangzi, or Madam Wang, only knows a few characters, but she can manage the household relatively well. It is never stated in the drama her level of education, but it seems as though she can read. She is juxtaposed by Lin Xiaoyang or Mistress Lin, who for a concubine is extremely well-educated and a reason why Sheng Hong favors her. Sheng Hong cannot talk of poetry and of love to Wang Danyangzi, but he can to Lin Xiaoyang. Next up, in the book, Qi Hung also doesn't study with the Sheng family for several years, and he only joins later. In addition, the girls at this point are all under the age of 15. The boys are a few years older, so late teens and maybe early 20s. We'll discuss this later in the drama, but 15 is the crucial age for women in Imperial China, as there are strict customs regarding that age. The actors and actresses are, of course, older than this, so age isn't really mentioned in the drama, which to me makes sense. But uh, reading the book, it is very highly stressed that, for example, when Ming Lan is attending classes, she is under the age of 15. Well, that is it for episode five. This discussion was quite long, but I think it was more of an academic research project for us than anything else. We certainly learned a lot about the various family members and the fact that young Qi Hung has his eyes set on Ming Lan. We'll see how that uh, impacts the relationships in the future and if Qi Hung is able to win Ming Lan's heart. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We will catch you in the next episode.